For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject Hebraic Bible Prophecy. This is part 12 of the series. Then in 2003, what we have, what is known as the roadmap. You see often President Bush is referring to the roadmap. Well, what does the roadmap say? It's a plan to implement UN Resolutions 242 and 338. The U.S. State Department on April the 30th of 2003 released the text of the roadmap to a permanent solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The roadmap specifies the steps for the two parties to take to reach a settlement and a timeline for doing so. Under the auspices of the Quartet, the United States, the European Union, the United Nations, and Russia. So I would like to highlight a couple things for you, which includes the following is a performance-based and goal-driven roadmap with clear phases, timelines, target dates, and benchmarks aiming at progress through the reciprocal steps by the two parties in the political, security, economic, humanitarian, and institution-building fields under the auspices of the Quartet, that is the United States, the European Union, United Nations, and Russia. The destination is a final and comprehensive settlement of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict by 2005, they didn't meet their, the date, as presented in President Bush's speech of the 24th of June. The two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict will only be achieved through an end to violence and terrorism when the Palestinian people have leadership actively, decisively against terror and willing and able to build a practicing democracy based upon tolerance and liberty and through Israel's readiness to do what is necessary for a democratic Palestinian state to be established and a clear unambiguous acceptance by both parties of the goal of a negotiated settlement as described below. A settlement negotiated between the parties will result in the emergence of an independent, democratic, and viable Palestinian state living side by side in peace and security with Israel and its neighbors. The settlement will resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and end the occupation that began in 67. You know what the end of the occupation is? A return to the, to the 67 borders. Based upon the foundation of the Madrid Conference, the principle of land for peace UN Security Council Resolutions 242338 and 1397. So the roadmap affirms UN Resolution 242338 and 1397. 1397 was the resolution that mandates the creation of a Palestinian state. Therefore, the Israeli government has already agreed to a Palestinian state, already agreed to the 67 borders. They just have a dilemma in how they're going to uproot all the Jews who are living in the West Bank. And East Jerusalem from their homes and politically be able to do it. That's the hard part. But they've already agreed to a Palestinian state based upon the 67 borders. 
Now, I would like to read to you an article written by Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was the Secretary of State under the Carter administration. And the reason why I'm reading this to you is because he states what he says has been the policy of the United States since 1967 regarding how the United States government, both Democrat and Republican, view the conflict in the Middle East. And what he is going to say and what I'm going to show and read to you is that it's been the position of the United States government that the solution in the Middle East would always be two states, Jerusalem being an international city, based upon the 1949 armistice lines or the pre-67 borders. Now, how long have you known that our government had that position? They haven't told you. Now, in the negotiations, that's been made clear, but they haven't told the public. You know why? Because if they make that known to the public, Public, since 80% of Jews vote Democratic and there was during this period Democratic presidents, then it would hurt the Democratic Party. So therefore, they made it known in the documents, in the signing of the documents, in negotiations, but they're going to keep it from the American people because they know that the American people aren't ready to accept it. So they're trying to get it implemented through what it looks like negotiations between the parties themselves, but what the parties are to agree to has been mandated to them and the parties have already already agreed to what the end result will be. So let's see what Brzezinski explains. The statement that President Bush delivered at the conclusion of his recent meeting with the Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas deserves serious attention. It has been discussed by the Israeli press but drew scant commentary in the U.S. media. The President in his formal presentation declared that any final status agreement between Palestinians and Israelis must be reached between the two parties and changes to the 49 armistice lines must be mutually agreed to. He knows that the Arabs won't agree to that. So therefore that's a way of saying that the agreement will be based upon the 49 lines. The United States government position is all the settlers in Judea Samaria must leave their homes. In Gaza must leave their homes. In East Jerusalem must leave their homes. Lest there be any misunderstanding, the president said that Israel should not undertake any activity that contravenes roadmap obligations or prejudices final status negotiations with regard to Gaza, the West Bank, and Jerusalem. A viable two-state solution. Viable means you can't have a little land here and then Jews living here and then more land here and Jews living here. Viable. Continuous. No Jews. A viable two-state solution must ensure contiguity of the West Bank and a state of scattered territories will not work. There must also be meaningful linkages between the West Bank and Gaza. This is the position of the United States today. It is the position of the United States at the time of final status negotiations. Bush's declaration was a significant and helpful restatement of some long-held American positions. If these principles are actively embedded in Washington's policies over the months ahead, they could further help further the president's stated goals of resolving the long-running Israeli-Palestinian conflict, promoting democracy in the Middle East, and undercutting support for Islamic terrorism. Notice they see that Islamic terrorism will go away if we create a PLO state. That is exactly what has been presented to President Bush by James Baker and his people today. 38 years ago this month, Israeli forces occupied the Sinai Peninsula West Bank, including East Jerusalem and Gaza, in the Syrian Golan Heights. At the time, and without much discussion, President Lyndon B. Johnson made the decision that Israel should be allowed to hold on to the captured Arab territories until the Arabs were ready to make peace with Israel and offer recognition and security. This land for peace principle was later embodied in UN Resolution 242 and ever since has formed the touchstone for all considerations of Arab-Israeli 
early peace. Johnson, while very supportive of Israel, went on record as saying that the future borders of Israel should not reflect the weight of conquest, meaning Israel can't have any of the territories that it gained through the 67 war, and that any adjustments to the borders that prevailed before June 67 should be small and mutually agreed to, which the Arab world will not agree to. Since those foundational statements on the territorial aspect of peace settlements, U.S. policy under successive presidents did not change in any significant way until last year. Then in a letter to Ariel Sharon in April of 2004, Bush seemed to accept Sharon's government position that new facts on the ground, namely Israeli settlements in the West Bank, made it unrealistic to think that Israel should ever withdraw to the old armistice lines of 49. He said then that it's unrealistic to expect that the outcome of final status negotiations will be a full and complete return to the armistice lines of 49. The reason why Bush said this was to give political cover to Sharon. Then when Mahmoud Abbas comes to the White House, Bush retracts that statement, is what Brzezinski is going to explain. The Bush also stated that the Palestinian refugees should not expect to return to Israel proper as part of any peace settlement. The Bush letter was widely seen as a triumph for Sharon. For the first time, an American president had openly sided with the current Israeli view that the passage of time and new realities obviated Israel's obligations to withdraw more or less to the 67 lines, essentially the same as the 49 armistice lines, in return for peace, recognition, and security. The president's recent elaboration of U.S. policy is essentially a reaffirmation of the traditional American view that the 1949 armistice lines should be the starting point for any discussion of border changes and that changes in them cannot be one-sided. In other words, the Arabs have to agree to it. Much like his predecessors, the president also said last month that Israel must continue to take steps toward a peaceful future and work with the Palestinian leadership to improve the daily lives of Palestinians, especially their humanitarian situation. So, the prophecy in Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 13, is that the sons of Zion will oppose the sons of Greece. And this rebellion takes us back to the historical events that happened in the book of Daniel. And we're going to have a replay of these events because the present Israeli government is seeking to be like the nations of the world. They are agreeing to the UN resolutions rather than standing for the covenant that was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just like the Jews in those times embraced Greek Hellenism, but the Maccabees said, whoever's for the covenant, then let them stand with us and with the God of Israel. So prophetically, there's going to be from this PLO state and from the nation of Israel seeking to be like the nations of the world, making agreements according to the world institutions, it will result in a Zionist rebellion. And this Zionist rebellion will be biblical Zionists, that is Ephraim and Judah standing for Torah, biblical Zionists standing for the land of Israel. It will ultimately result in the God of Israel fighting with Zion against the nations of the world. It will result in the end of the exile of the house of Jacob. The miracles that the God of Israel will perform for Zion will surpass the miracles that was done to Egypt in the historical Egyptian redemption. And it will result in the coming of King Messiah and the Messianic era. Let me read to you a couple of scriptures that tell us that the future in gathering will exceed that which happened in historical Egypt. In Micah chapter 7 and verses 14 and 15, it says, Feed your people with the rod, the flock of your heritage, which dwell solitarily in the wood in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. Let them live 
live in Bashan and Gilead as they did in the days of old. According to the days of your coming out of the land of Egypt, according to those days, will I, future, show unto him marvelous things. How will it happen? According to those days, will I. And then we're told in Hosea in chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. You know what Achor in Hebrew means? Trouble or troubling. So this says the valley of trouble. What comes to your mind? Valley of trouble. Jacob's trouble. The valley of trouble is a door of hope. You know, I was never taught in traditional Christianity that the tribulation is my door of hope. I want to escape the tribulation is what I was taught. But we're being told here that the valley of trouble is a door of hope. Why? Because she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she come up out of the land of Egypt. She will sing like she did sing. And where is that singing specifically mentioned? Exodus in chapter 15, the song of Moses. If we go to Exodus in chapter 15, it says this. Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing. You know what they sang? I will sing. They sang, I will sing. Referring to a future song that's like that one. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea. Then it says, verse 6, Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand has dashed in pieces the enemy. Who's the right hand? Yeshua, Jesus. So he's the one that dashed in pieces the enemy. That's why he's got to fight as he fought in the day of battle. Where do we see this in the New Testament? It's Revelation in chapter 15 and verse 3, which says, They sing the song of Moses, that's Exodus 15, and the song of the Lamb, that is the Messiah, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, thou King of saints. That's quoting from Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11. And so we see that there's a future singing like there was a singing of old. Zion is a nation that is born in one day. Isaiah 66, verse 8 and verse 14. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And when you see this, when you see the travail of Zion, when does Zion travail? During the tribulation. When you see this, when you see the birth of the state of Zion, your bones shall flourish like a herb and the hand of the Lord will be known to his servants and his indignation toward his enemies. When you see the birth of the state of Zion, you have judgment upon the nations. The hand of the Lord will be known to his servants, his indignation toward his enemies. Indignation toward his enemies, judgment of the nations. His hand will be known upon his servants. He will redeem his people with signs, wonders, and miracles. What do I believe is going to be that physical state of Zion that will be declared? The exact land that will be given over to a PLO state in the mountains of Judea and Samaria or the mountains of Israel. The redemption of Zion is likened unto laughter. Psalm 126 verses 1 and 2. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. You know what I'm describing to you? The God of Israel bringing people from different countries, from all the nations of the earth, back to the land of Israel. In these days, do you realize that that just sounds like an impossibility? It sounds like a dream. Are you like telling me the truth? When he turned back the captivity, we were like them that dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. You know what the word laughter there is? Isaac. Therefore, the birth of Isaac is a prophecy of the birth 
birth of Zion. And our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. Zion redeemed is the end gathering of the exiles. Isaiah 35 verses 1 and 2 and verse 10. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The state of Zion is born during the tribulation. Revelation chapter 12 verse 1 and verse 2 speaks about the birth of the state of Zion. There appeared a great sign in heaven. The way you say sign in Hebrew is Zion. One of the meanings of Zion, it means a monument. It means a sign. So you could read this, there appeared a great Zion in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Why 12 stars? It's the 12 tribes of Israel. Why does she have the sun and the moon under her feet? The moon is a reference to Islam. Why the sun? Because modern Christianity traces its back to Constantine and Constantine is where in sun worship got incorporated into Christianity. December 25th is the birthday of the sun god in Mithraism. And the worship on Sunday is the day of the sun. Sun day. And so what we understand to be Christianity today will not be when Messiah comes because he's going to be teaching the Torah from Jerusalem to all nations in Isaiah chapter 2 verse 3. And she being with child cried travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. So when is this great sign? When is Zion born? During the tribulation when she's travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Zion means a sign. Isaiah 66 verse 8. For as soon as Zion travailed she brought forth her children. Zion is the Strong's number 6726 and it's the same as the Strong's number 6725 which means a sign or a signpost or a monument. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15 verse 17 verses 20 and 21. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. There is hope in your end, says the Lord, that your children shall come again to their own border. And here it's referring to Joseph or Ephraim. Is Ephraim my dear son? Set you up waymarks. The word waymarks here is the Strong's number 60 6725 and actually the way you pronounce this in Hebrew is Zion. The difference between Zion and Zion is a vowel point. It has the same Hebrew letters and in the biblical text there are no vowels and so therefore Zion and Zion are the same Hebrew letters and so you could read this set you up Zion and so Rachel refrains from weeping when Ephraim returns to Israel in the sign for Ephraim to return to Israel is the birth of the state of Zion. The state of Zion will birth the Messiah. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, but you Bethlehem Ephratah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. That's Yeshua the Messiah. Whose goings forth has been from old, from everlasting. Therefore he will give them up, meaning he will hide his face from his people. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 17 until the time that she which travails has brought forth. That's the birth of the state of Zion. Messiah will give up revealing himself in his fullness to his people until the time that she which travails has brought forth. That's the birth of the state of Zion. Then, once the birth of the state of Zion, then the remnant of his brethren shall return.
return to the children of Israel. That is the end gathering of the exiles. So this is the fulfillment of the biblical state of Zion. That is the people of the God of Israel who stands for the covenant that was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and who follow Torah return to the land of Israel under the authority of the Messiah. Messiah is glorified through the end gathering of the exiles. Isaiah 35 verse 2. They shall see the glory of the Lord and what is seeing the glory of the Lord associated with and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion. The ransom of the Lord returning to Zion is seeing the glory of the Lord and Yeshua will be glorified when his people are redeemed from exile. Ezekiel chapter 39 which is the chapter on Gog and Magog Ezekiel 38 and 39 at the end of Ezekiel 39 verse 21 says I will set my glory among the heathen. What is setting his glory among the heathen? Ezekiel 39 verse 25 therefore thus says the Lord God now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel. The bringing back the captivity of Jacob is associated with setting his glory upon the heathen. Yeshua the Messiah will return when the exiles of Israel are gathered. Psalm 102 verse 13 and verse 16. You will arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her, yea, the set time has come. When the Lord builds up Zion, gathers the exiles of Israel in the birth of the state of Zion, he will appear in his glory. So this is what Yeshua's prayer was in John chapter 17. He prayed for the end gathering of the exiles, that they all may be one. Who would be one? His people, the 12 tribes of Israel, they would be unified. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, when Yeshua gathers the exiles of Israel, brings them back to the land of Israel, that's when the world will believe that you sent me because the miracles that he'll be performing in accomplishing this task will exceed the miracles that happened in Egypt. And all the world will have to recognize that your God is fighting your battle for you. I and them and you and me that they may be perfect in one, that the world may believe that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. And so the glory is upon his people when they're redeemed. And this glory is likened to the glory that's upon a bride, that they may be one even as we are one. That is why we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Behold, he that keep Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They will prosper that love thee. What is praying for the peace of Jerusalem? It is praying for the ingathering of the exiles. It's the prayer for the coming of King Messiah and it's a prayer for the Messianic era. That's what you're praying for when you're praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray that this message has been a rich blessing to you and it's helping you to understand the end of days from a Hebraic perspective. That the events that are happening in our world are events that are described by the prophets that are said to happen in tribulation time. And the tribulation is a battle between Jacob and Esau and the ultimate outcome of this conflict and the purpose why the God of Israel designed it is so that through it that he can gather his people from all the nations where they've been scattered and do it in a mighty and powerful way so that Yeshua will be glorified and his people will realize not only that he is the Messiah but that he gave the Torah at Mount Sinai and those who believe in Yeshua as the Messiah express that faith in him by loving him and keeping his commandments or following Torah. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Well, that's going to conclude part 12 of the series on the subject Hebraic Bible Prophecy. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.
Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.